Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Rich in Grace series, which walks through the book of Ephesians, discovering the incredible riches that we have in Christ. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, this morning, let's go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians in chapter number three this morning, Ephesians chapter number three. (coughs) Excuse me, we'll get right back into our series. Of course, uh, remember with me studying out the book of Ephesians that Paul uh, spent time in Ephesus, Acts chapter 18 and 19 records that for us. And then uh, Paul would, of course, uh, lead people to Christ. He would start a great church there. Paul would leave, and 10 years later, he would write back to the believers at Ephesus. Of course, he would write this letter from the Mamertine prison. We'll learn more about that next week. But Paul would write this letter back to these believers in Ephesus, really trying to encourage them and, I, I believe, trying to help them uh, be amazed at all that God had done for them. I think the whole book of Ephesians has to do with realizing how rich we are in Christ and the incredible strengthening grace that God gives so that we can stand for him and walk with him and and love our spouse and, and love our children. I mean, there's so much many practical truths that we're going to see in the coming months as we continue this series. But Paul, he just had a heart for the people of Ephesus. He really wanted to help them, wanted to encourage them. And of course, Ephesus at that time, we know it was one of the uh, largest cities in the known world. It was a place that people would travel to. Really, you would have uh, Corinth and, um, and Rome and Athens and Thessalonica. Ephesus would be right up there with those cities. And of course, Ephesus, was just entrenched in idolatry worship. Of course, the, uh, the Greek gods and goddesses that had a, a stronghold there, the biggest one uh, there in Ephesus would be the goddess Diana. Although there was influence of all of the Greek mythology that had infiltrated the city of Ephesus, and they had been, of course, following all these false gods. And then you have Paul come in, and he preaches the gospel, and people begin to get saved, and he leaves, and then he, he writes back to them, I just want you to know how good God is in your life, and you have a lot to thank him for and praise him for. And when you got Jesus, you got everything that comes along with him. That's what Paul has been writing about. And this morning, as we get started, before we really look into our passage, I wonder how many of you, you, um, you'll admit this today, that you liked magicians like growing up. How many of you were entertained by magicians? Uh, how many of you are like, nope, I don't care about magicians? All right. Uh, you know what? Growing up, uh, I grew up, of course, in Greeley, Colorado, and at Spring Christian School, the little school I was at, there was a, a girl that was in our class that her dad, he was a pastor in the town, and her dad was a magician. And I don't remember his first name. Uh, man, I don't, remember, I don't remember it. But anyway, um, let's see. Give me a second. Mel Lamar, Lamar, that's what it is. There you go. Had to had to work through that. Uh, Mr. Lamar was his name. And man, I remember we thought it was the coolest thing. We thought it was the coolest thing. And every time we were at this Christian school, he would, about once a month, he would come in and he would do our Christian school chapel. And he would get up and he would do magic tricks and he would tie the gospel into it. And we always thought it was so cool. And we would always ask his daughter, we would always be like, hey, what's it like to live with him? Like, is he always like doing magic tricks at home? Like, do you, like, do you guys do this every night? You know, and uh, we would have those questions. But you know what? Something about a magician, 
a magician or a, an entertainer. You can think about those of you that maybe have, have been to a circus. One of the things that a magician or a entertainer does is they want you to be completely convinced that what they just did was absolutely astounding. They want the crowd to leave astounded. Magicians or even at a circus, you will hear someone get up and they will say something like this, ladies and gentlemen, what you are about to see, it may shock some of you. It may scare others of you. For some, it may cause bewilderment, but I can guarantee, I can guarantee that all of you will be amazed. And then they proceed to be tied up and dropped inside of a box of water and then they get out somehow and, and everybody goes, oh, and they applaud. And, and their whole goal, their whole goal is to impress you, to astound you, to amaze you. Of course, most of their tricks are just that. They're just an illusion. It's just a sleight of hand. It's just uh, hidden doors and little secrets that are only known to them. And so once you know that, magicians lose their amazement. You know, once you know the ins and outs and you know how they did that card trick, you know how they did that, you know, come out of their trick. I mean, you're just like, eh, I could do that. And you're not as amazed anymore. It loses the amazement. Well, as we come to Ephesians chapter number three this morning, I really... I find Paul almost coming to the readers and saying, what you're about to hear is going to shock some of you. What you're about to hear, it's going to impress some of you. But what you're about to hear, it's going to amaze all of you. But the truth about what Paul shares in Ephesians chapter 3 and what he's been sharing in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 is that what he shares, once you get a hold of it, it will never lose its amazement because it's not an illusion. It's not a myth. It's not something that is just a sleight of hand because what Paul has been sharing and will continue to today is the amazing grace of God that is at work in the life of people through Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, it wasn't just a sleight of hand trick. There's theories out there that say that when Jesus was crucified, that he, he simply passed out. It's called, uh, it's, a, it's a false theology. It's called the swoon theory, that Jesus simply passed out and they thought he was dead. And after 72 hours of being in the cool of that cave, that, that coolness of the cave awoke him and he got up and rolled a 700 pound or a thousand pound stone out of the way and proceeded to uh, go and see all of his followers and he was healed. He had no injuries or anything. And so the miracle was the healing. Uh, can I tell you today, it's not the swoon theory. Jesus Christ died. He was dead and he was buried and he was counted away. And on that third day, he arose from the dead. We celebrate that in just a few weeks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as Paul writes to his readers, he is 
already written to them about the fact that God offers incredible grace and salvation to everyone. And then last week, we, we read as, as Paul wrote about the, the fact that by his grace and be, by God's grace and because of Jesus Christ, every single person who believes upon Jesus, they are brought together with a perfect design. And we are brought together as, as one nation and one family and one building with, with one purpose. And this morning, Paul, he continues to kind of dig into this topic. And he really, I believe chapter number three is Paul like, no, you're just not getting it. I want you to understand understand that you can be absolutely amazed at the God at the grace of God. I believe that's kind of the theme of the first part of Ephesians chapter number 3. I just want you to be amazed at the grace of God. I want you to see this with me this morning. So let's stand and we're going to read the first 12 verses of Ephesians in chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and we're going to read verse 1 all the way down through verse number 12. We read this today, for this cause, for what cause, okay? We're not, we're not gonna do this, don't, don't, oh, you're making me do it, you're, we're gonna do it. Uh, for this cause, for the cause of the grace of God and the gospel and redemption and forgiveness, you can go back and see everything he's been written about, everything he's written about. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which has given me to you word, how that by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote afore in a few, in few words, whereby when ye read or read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I, Paul, was made a minister, according to the gift of grace of God, which was given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which, is, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. These verses if you were to just sit down and just go through and read them, there would be a lot of questions. What is the mystery that he's talking about? What is Paul's claim? Why is he saying I'm a prisoner? What is, what is he talking about regarding the unsearchable riches? Like what, what is Paul saying? But as we travel through these verses today, I believe that by the time we're done, Hopefully, we all have a, a working understanding of these 12 verses to get this thought, this thought, 
Paul writing to the believers, simply saying, I want you to be amazed at the grace of God. I want you to really be amazed at the grace of God. Catch what God is really doing and what God has done and be amazed at his grace. And this morning, I hope that each one of us will leave amazed at his grace and be challenged by the message. But let's pray again and ask the Lord for his blessing. And then we'll get into the message today. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just simply pray and ask God to speak to you? Ask God to speak to you. God, please speak to my heart. And then would you make the commitment, God, if you speak to me today, I'm gonna listen to you, respond to you. Dear Lord, I thank you for the day and thank you for the word of God and how you use it. I thank you for our time already. And Lord, I pray that as we get into the message this morning, I pray that you would help. I pray that you'd speak through me. Just humble my mind and heart and words to you today. And Lord, that you would... Help us to listen and receive what your spirit has for us and to be challenged by you. And Lord, that we would be changed because of being here today. And Lord, that you would help us as we have some calls to action. Pray, Lord, that we'd make decisions. And Lord, that we would leave just reminded to be amazed at your grace. We love you and we thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As a pastor, I know that there are times in, in preaching, and there's times in ministry, there's times in counseling uh, when I'm talking, but specifically times in preaching when I'm, I know there's times when I get worked up and I'm getting excited about something. And I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like you're getting it. You know, and then there's times when I'm just like, I don't, I don't feel like you're getting it. And maybe it's because I'm not explaining it well. But man, I know there's times, and many of you, maybe with your kids, you know, there's times you're like, hey, you're just, you're just not getting what I'm telling you. You know, you're not, you're not catching what I'm throwing out. Like, you've got to understand this is important. I feel like it's one of those times for Paul in the book of Ephesians. I feel like we, I mean, if you've been in our series, all the way, chapter one and chapter two, there's a lot of repetition. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of repetition like, hey, isn't it cool that God offers you forgiveness and that you can become a child of God and God adopts you? You have the spirit of adoption. And oh, by the way, isn't it awesome that you're made a fellow heir? That phrase fellow heir just connects with adoption. And isn't it cool that, that you're brought into to one group of people, one nation and one, one church and one, and he's kind of being really repetitive. I think a lot of the reason behind that is Paul wants us to help understand, understand the depth of what he's talking about. The book of Ephesians is rich in biblical doctrine. It's rich in doctrinal truths that matter for us. And Paul is really trying to help the reader understand that and help us understand that. But specifically, he's been trying to write about how God's grace lately, the last few chapter or the last few messages, he's been writing about how, how amazing it is that God in his grace, brought Jews and Gentiles together. That's, that's, the, that's the context of what Paul has been writing about lately. Is like, hey, listen, Jews and Gentiles, they have been at war for generations. And the Jews thinking they have the upper hand with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are thinking that they're better than the Jews. And everybody's fighting. But once you receive Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, Jews and Gentiles are brought together. Isn't that awesome? That's what Paul said. Isn't that great? And it's like the church at Ephesus is kind of like, yeah, yeah, Paul, that's kind of cool. Chapter three, Paul's like, no, 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 you're not getting it. No, this is awesome. I want you to understand why this is awesome because in God's grace, 
He brought Jews and Gentiles together. You need to be amazed at God's grace. Are you amazed? And it's like the church at Ephesus is like, yeah, Paul, yeah, yeah, we're amazed. He's like, no, no, you need to be amazed. Well, Paul, what do we need to be amazed at? You need to be amazed at the grace of God, number one, in the church. Be amazed at how God's grace has worked or is working in the church. Paul describes this in those first six verses. I know we've already read them, but just so help to help continuity and help our minds, look at those six verses. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore, I've already written about this in few words, really wasn't a few words, it was a lot of words, Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. A couple of times in this letter, the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, Paul identifies himself like he does in verse number one of chapter three as a prisoner of the gospel. But in verse number one of chapter three, he says, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ for or because of you Gentiles. That's a heavy accusation that Paul is making toward the Gentiles as a whole. What is the accusation? The accusation is simply this. I'm in jail because of you. That's, that's verse number one. That's what Paul's saying. I'm, in, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ because of you Gentiles. Now, why was he in jail? No doubt they were wondering, well, Paul, why are you in jail? Because of the Gentiles. Well, Paul explains his situation, and in doing so, he explains one of the greatest truths in the letter of Ephesians, which is called the mystery of the church. The mystery of the church. In the New Testament, a mystery is not something eerie. It's not something mystifying. But rather, a mystery is defined as this. A truth that was hidden by God in times past, but is now revealed to those who are his. One man said it this way, a mystery is a sacred sacred secret that is unknown to unbelievers, but understood and treasured by the people of God. Well, what is the mystery that Paul is referring to right now? Well, the mystery that Paul is referring to right now is the fact that the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers are now in one body, the church. We read that in verse number six. He's mentioned this a little bit before to his readers about the the family and the nation and this concept. But now Paul explains this tremendous uh, truth and this the impact of this mystery and how it really... should be something that is amazing to the people of God. Simply put, the mystery that he refers to is the fact that Jews and Gentiles alike 
are brought into the local church context together. Okay, that's the simple working definition. What is the mystery? The fact that Jews and Gentiles, people from all creed and tongues and nationalities, Jews and Gentiles are brought together into the body that is called the local church. Now, are you still with me? Now, verse number one, I'm a prisoner because of you Gentiles. Why would Paul say that leading into this? We're not gonna do it, but if we were to go to Acts chapter number 20, 21, and 22, we would discover the times when Paul begins to uh, uh, provoke the Pharisees and uh, um, the, uh, the Sanhedrin to be against him. Paul, of course, we know in Acts, from Acts 22 all the way through Acts chapter number 28, we get to follow the, uh, the imprisonment of Paul when he gets arrested. But if you go back to the very first few times that Paul is confronted and arrested by the Jewish leaders. Okay, remember, Paul was arrested by the Jewish leaders and then he was brought before the Roman court, just like Jesus Christ. He was arrested by the Jews, brought before the Romans, But then the Romans proceeded to charge Paul because they thought he was an insurrectionist, raising uh, raising an insurrection against Rome. And Paul speaks to them in their tongue, and they say, oh, we thought you were an Egyptian that's raising up, uh, you know, insurrection against Rome. And he said, no. Paul said, would you let me speak to these people? And the leader, that sheriff, if you will, that was leading, the centurion that was leading the Roman army there, he said, yeah, go ahead. So Paul got up, there's a ton of Jews in this courtyard, and I've been there to this courtyard where Paul preached. He would have been a little higher on some stairs, and he began to preach Jesus to these Jews. Now, here's what's interesting, and you can go and you can read the the account, Acts 23, I believe. Paul gets up and he speaks all about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, And the Jews are quiet and they're listening. And many of them are like, yes, yeah, like, yeah, we're for that. Like many of the, some of the people that were there that day were followers of Jesus. But here's when Paul got in trouble. Paul said, now I just told you about Jesus. Let me tell you about me. I used to be the Pharisee of all Pharisees. I was a persecutor of all people who followed Jesus. And I traveled one day on the road to Damascus with letters sent by the chief priest, Caiaphas, and I was going to go, and I was going to go arrest people and bring them before the Sanhedrin and charge them in the name of this man, Jesus Christ. And on that road, I met Jesus. And on that road, I got saved, and Paul begins to share his testimony. And then Paul said this, And on that day, God told me that I would be responsible to take his truth of his son to the Jews. Everybody's excited, but also to the Gentiles. And you read the story. It says, when he said the word Gentiles, there was an uproar among the Jewish people. And they began to say, like, kill him, get him. Well, why? Why were they so against him? Because they, it's super interesting, because they understood what Paul was getting at, that salvation is offered to Jews and Gentiles alike, 
and that God was going to join the two. Later, Paul would say, Galatians 3, we've said it a bunch, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. We say it all the time, the ground is level at the cross. And those Jews, they didn't want to hear it. So why was Paul arrested? He was arrested because the Jews were charging him with bringing Gentiles into the worship of God. That's why Paul was arrested. No wonder Paul would write in verse number one, uh, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, because of you Gentiles. Hey, you're the reason because I stood, here's what he's saying. I stood up and I said, salvation can go to the Jews and salvation can go to the Gentiles. I stood up and I said, Jewish people can trust Christ and be a part of the church and Gentiles can trust Christ and be a part of the church. That's, what Paul, that's why Paul stood up and that's what he stood up for and the fact that Jews and Gentiles are equal with God. And this is one of those main reasons that Paul was in prison and seeing all of this persecution. And now, now he writes to these believers at Ephesus that principle, hey, you need to be amazed because in your congregation there in Ephesus, there are Jews and there are Gentiles and you are brought together as one body. You are brought together as one church. I love how one man said it when he said this, that the Gentiles were to be saved was no mystery. Gentiles could trust God in the Old Testament. The mystery that was hidden in God was the divine purpose to make the Jew and Gentile a holy new thing, the church or Christ's body. In the church, the earthly distinction of Jew and Gentile disappears. The mystery of the church was foretold, but never really explained until God spoke to Peter, Acts chapter 9, and then, or Acts chapter 10, and then God used Paul to accomplish it. So what is Paul writing about in these verse, first six verses? And really, I was gonna take time and just do the first six verses as a whole message, but I don't wanna be repetitious because we've already seen this. Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, you have heard about God's grace. Here's, here's what happened. God in his grace, has chosen to bring Jews and Gentiles together as one body to worship him. That's those first six verses. Man, God in his grace, this was something, it was a mystery. In the Old Testament, it's amazing. In the Old Testament, you can go read prophecy, go read Isaiah, go read some in Ezekiel, go read a little bit in Daniel, go read some of the, go read Jeremiah. And they're like, we see in the future that there's Jews and Gentiles believing in Christ. But in the Old Testament, they didn't really understand this. What's this? Like this. Like what's taking place right here, right now, and all across the world in other churches. They didn't understand how can people from all different walks of life be gathered together. They didn't understand the church, the, the uh, unity of the church. They didn't understand the one body. And that's why Paul says it was hid from the Old Testament saints. Like they, they could see in the future there was this blending that was taking place, but they didn't understand how. How in the world could this happen? And Paul writes, hey, listen. You need to understand that God's grace has made a difference in the church. 
His grace has brought us together. This is one of the reasons that I love church. We've already spoken on this in past weeks, so I'm not going to expound upon this a lot. But I love the fact that church is made up of people from all over. All walks of life, all different backgrounds. Now, I don't know for sure. I think we might have a few but I, I believe there's a few folks that come to our church who are of Hebrew descent, who are Jewish. I'm looking around right now. I know in here there's uh, maybe one or two that I know have shared that with me, and you're of Jewish descent. You would be a Jew. Some, maybe not, not full, maybe a Samaritan in, in that sense of half Jew, half Gentile, but you still have that Jewish lineage in you. The majority of us here, we're Gentiles. We're Gentiles. But let's take that aspect out of it for just a second. In this room right now, we have what we've said before, and I said it last week, and rich and poor. We have people from good backgrounds and bad backgrounds. We have people who have been on the good side of the law and people who have been on the not so good side of the law. We have people who had a really good home life growing up. We have others who grew up in an absolute mess. We have people who have jobs and people who don't have jobs. We have people who vote Democrat and people who vote Republican. We have people who grew up in some religion and got saved and came to church and some who grew up in church, in Moses Lake Baptist or in a church like it. It's people from all walks of life. And yet here's what God did. He brought us together. He offered you salvation, you received it. And then he said, now I wanna help you grow. Hey, here's a group of believers. Here's a body of believers. And I want you to go be a part of that body. And we saw that a few weeks ago or a few months ago now in our book, Study in Corinthians. How God brings us together as one body, the church. This is what Paul is describing in Ephesians chapter 6 or Ephesians chapter three, verses one through six, he is simply saying God's grace makes a big difference in the church. We, we don't really, in America, Americanized Christianity, we don't really see this as much as other people do in other countries or around the world, but we especially don't see it as much as other people have seen it throughout the ages. But listen, every time, every time we come together, and we'll see this more in just a minute, Every time we come together, it's a picture of God's grace. Think about this. I know Moses Lake is a small town comparatively to cities around the world. I know that a lot of us know people in Moses Lake. But think about this. Probably 50% to 60% of the people in here, you would never know were it not for the church. Some of my best friends in life, I wouldn't know were it not for church. Some of the greatest help that I've ever received has come when gathering with the church. So every time we get together, it is just, it's just a big picture of God's grace because the, the church is not the building. The church is those who make up 
the church. It's those who have Christ and have joined themselves together to say, hey, we know that we've received Christ and followed him in baptism and we wanna join together for the purpose of furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what's your challenge, pastor, about this idea of being amazed at the grace of God in the church? My challenge to you is take advantage of it. Take advantage of what? Church. Hey, don't miss church. Be a part of church. Be present at church. Be engaged at church. Ask God to help you to encourage others, not to just receive encouragement. Thank God every time you have the opportunity to gather together with other believers, recognize that not every Christian gets this opportunity in the world. I mean, there are places around the world. Uh, I, I think of our, our friends who minister in the restricted access nations, and they were here a few months ago, and we got done with uh, the singing portion. And you look, we looked over, and, and our friends and their, their teenage sons all had tears. And afterwards, I was like, man, is everything good? He was like, man, we haven't been in singing like that in years. He's like, the singing that we have is seven people and you sing quietly because you don't want to get caught. And yet we have, and listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to, pastor's not trying to be mean today. I'm not trying to stomp, well, I am trying to stomp on some toes here. We're going to do it a little bit. We come in, we just take advantage of it. Hey, there's some of you that you're like, I won't ever sing. You'll never hear me sing. <laughs> well, I hate to tell you this, but in heaven, there's going to be a lot of singing. <laughs> I'm a man. Real men don't sing. No. Real men sing. Hey, real men aren't, aren't afraid to, to sing out. Real men, listen, I, I'm, I'm going to say a joke and it's going to be funny. You're about to laugh. You're about to be amazed. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I appreciate this. My, my friend Danny back there. Hey, listen, I'm picking on Danny. Danny can't carry a tune in a bucket. But Danny sings. And I'm not, I'm not saying this today to uplift him. I'm saying today, listen, we come to church and we get to hear and we get to be around and yet we stand. And we're like, well, that's not my favorite song. Who cares? <laughs> is it about Jesus and does it glorify his name and is it doctrinally true? Then sing out. Well, you know, Brian, when he gets up there, I mean, look at Brian. He's always up there singing and he's got this, he's got this <laughs> grin. And you go, Pastor I, pastor, I can't do that. Who cares? Man, just sing. Why? He's worthy. Don't make someone look at you and be like, why aren't you singing? Man, be the guy that's singing, looking around. Everybody's like, man, man, they've had too much coffee today. Well, pastor, why? The church is a picture of grace. That's what Paul is writing. He's like, hey, this was a great mystery to generations before, but now because of Jesus, you are brought together. Hey, church, be involved. Hey, don't just come and, and kind of just check the list. No, come and be involved. That's why it's not, listen, it's not a bad thing during the service to be like, man, praise God. To during, the, during the music, it's, you see the, the music team do it. Lift your hands. It's not a bad thing. 
Now, we're not getting all southern here. Like, there's, we're, we're not doing, you know, pew jumping and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm fine with not doing that. I've been in some of those services, and it's a little weird. We're not doing laps. You know, we're not doing an interpretive dance. It's not going to happen. But there ain't nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with, with holding your, your whole, the, the musicians up here singing and raising their hand and you out there going, man, amen, that's good. Man, praise the Lord. There's nothing wrong with saying amen during the message. Man, I was hoping I'd get at least one. I'm kidding. No, listen, there's, there's nothing wrong. I, I, look at, I look at sometimes, man, when not, not just when I preach. I know I preach the majority of the time, but I look at times when our men preach, and we've had the last few weeks some great messages by men in our church. And man, I'm sitting over here, and I'm like, man, this is good stuff. Amen. Thank you. I want to be helped. Why? Because what we're doing is just a picture of grace. Hey, don't, don't neglect it. Hey, be here. Be involved. Be a giver. Oh, you had to go there, didn't you, Pastor? <laughs> yep. Because you know how this church moves forward? We're not supported by a denomination. We're not supported by outside organizations. We're the local church. Where Jews and Gentiles come together and say, hey, this is my church, and I'm going to help it move forward. God wants to use me. And so I'm going to give. I had a friend recently, he said, hey, Dennis, you know, tithing's not in the New Testament. I was like, yep, it's not in the New Testament. But I guarantee you probably hope tithing is in the New Testament. Well, why? Because what's in the New Testament is called grace giving. You know what that means? More than 10%. Some of y'all just got a love for the Old Testament. Hey, you know what? Be involved in giving. Be involved in worship. Be involved in outreach. Hey, be involved in carrying the gospel tracks and inviting somebody to be a part of this church. I'm unashamed. I, I'm, I know there's other Bible preaching churches in Moses Lake, but I'm kind of biased. I have a favorite. Moses Lake Baptist. It's not just because I'm a pastor. I love our church. And you know what? We should desire that our church, every time we gather, just as a demonstration of what Paul is writing about, hey, you need to be amazed at the work of the grace of God in the church. I noticed secondly today, Paul says, be amazed at the grace of God in the church. But also, Paul said, be amazed at the grace of God in my life. Hey, if you're, I love, I love the, the, the approach Paul has. It's like, hey, if you're not gonna get excited about what God's doing for you, would you at least get excited about what God's doing for me? That's like what Paul's writing. Look with me, notice what he says. He says, Where, whereof or because of all this, I was made a minister, a servant, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me. Hey, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace or strength given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. <clears throat> In these verses, we need to see that Paul, he's not being boastful upon himself, but he is boasting upon God's grace and God's call in his life. Paul had said, I'm a prisoner because of God's plan for you Gentiles. But now he says, but also by God's grace, I am a servant to the Gentiles. 
You see, hear what Paul is saying. He's saying, God, in his grace, he has, he has called me and he has enabled me to accomplish this purpose. Well, what was the purpose? Paul said, I made a servant for what? The Gentiles. We don't have time to do it, but uh, Paul would go and he would recount many times when he knew that God was speaking to him about the ministry of the Gentiles. And in Paul's ministry, the majority of the people that he reached with the gospel were Gentiles. They were not Jewish people, even though Paul himself was of Jewish descent. We know that his ministry was to the Gentiles, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And here's what Paul is saying. He's like, hey, listen, the church is an amazing thing, but I'm amazed that God would use me to reach people with the gospel. I'm amazed that God would use me to tell the Gentiles of the unsearchable riches of Christ. That phrase unsearchable, it doesn't mean not found. The phrase unsearchable means they're deep. They're untraceable. You are never going to get where you know it all. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. And here's what Paul says to him. He says, God in his grace has, he's not only called me, but he's enabled me. In these verses, we learn that God not only uh, chose Paul and uses Paul to reach the Gentiles, but then I love verse number seven. He gave Paul the energy and the strength to reach people. Uh, Look at verse number seven. When he says, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. The phrase effectual working, it means the effective energy of his power or of his strength. Here's what Paul is saying about this. He is saying, listen, God not only called me, but then he gave me the strength to accomplish what he called me to do. We won't go through the entire life of Paul and all that he accomplished, but we need to know that Paul's life ministering for the Lord was not easy. Here's how Paul words some of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, down through verse number 28. He says, in speaking of himself, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more, free, more frequent, in death oft. It means I, I had death experiences in the sense I was almost put to death many times. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Five times he was beaten 39 times. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwrecked. A day and night I have been in the deep, just floating on some wood in the ocean. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness. In watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings and cold and, and nakedness, and beside those things that are without, I mean, all those things that have come upon me, man, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. What was Paul saying? He was just saying, man, listen, my life serving, the, serving God has not been a cakewalk. My life serving God has not been easy but I love how Paul summarizes it in our theme verse for the year, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 10, when he says, but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, it was not given to me in vain. 
but I labored more abundantly than they all. Now, if it stopped right there, it'd be kind of a braggadocious verse, right? I mean, if it stopped right there, like, man, God's grace was bestowed upon me and I took advantage of it. I took the bull by the horn and I did a bunch of work for God, you know? But that's not what Paul's saying. He says, his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not labored in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet, listen, it wasn't me. It was God with me. It was God strengthening me. Now connect that this morning to our passage here in Ephesians. And here's what Paul is saying. Hey, you may not be amazed at God's grace in your life, but you can be amazed at God's grace in my life because I, do you see what he says about himself in verse number six? Who am the least of all saints? Or verse number seven, excuse me. No, verse eight. (laughs) Yeah, verse eight. Unto me who am less, I'm not the least of all saints. I'm below that. Paul, in another place, you know, he calls himself the chiefest of sinners. You know, Paul's saying, I'm the worst of the worst. I should not have been saved. I shouldn't have forgiveness let alone the opportunity to serve God. Paul says, man, I, I don't deserve anything. And if you're not gonna be amazed at how God has brought you together as a church, be amazed at how God's grace has worked in my life because I have seen some pretty incredible things and I've accomplished a lot, but it's not because of me. It's because of his grace, his strength that was in me. It's Paul saying, I can't believe that God would call me to serve him in this capacity. And even more than that, I can't believe he would give me the energy and the strength to do everything that I have done for him. Man, God worked in, and my challenge about this is the fact that God worked in and through Paul's life and he desires to work in and through your life as well. We're going to see this again in the end of the message before we close today, but God's grace worked in and through Paul and God's grace wants to work in and through you. Hey, Paul was stoned for sharing the gospel. What's our excuse? Hey, Paul was beaten over 200 times for the cause of Jesus Christ, and yet we won't share the gospel because a coworker was mean to us. Hey, Paul, he, uh, he traveled the world by boat, horseback, donkey, and his legs, just walking. And yet we won't walk across the street to say to our neighbors, hey, man, I know I haven't done this before or maybe I've talked to you before, but I just wanna wanna invite you to our church. I wanna invite you to Christ. Hey, can I be honest today? I'm convicted by this because Paul said, God called me, but God enabled me. We all know God has called us, but we don't lean into his strength. We've been talking about this for our building We're taking a huge step. This is huge. 
We, we already have people who are interested in buying our church. It's been on the market, but we haven't, we haven't put a sign up yet. The sign will be going up in a few, few weeks or this week. We'll see what happens. But you know what? This is a big step for us. And I believe at the end of it, people are going to look back and us as a church are going to look back and we're gonna say, yeah, God used us to accomplish a lot, but that wasn't us. It was all God. If God can work through Paul like that, God still wants to work through you. Hey, quit making excuses as to why you and I can't be used of God to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. One man said it this way, when we really understand the deep truths of God's word, it does not give a man a big head. It gives him a broken and a contrite heart. Hey, when you really understand what God did for you, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna say, man, I wanna be like Paul and say, God, just use me. Use me my family. Very quickly, be amazed at the grace of God in the church, in Paul, but also in eternity. We'll cover this quickly. Notice verse nine and nine through 11. Paul said this, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the world, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I do not have the time to expound upon all of these verses, but just understand this, that angelic beings and Satan, they know the Bible. They know the Bible. Now, the Bible was not, I'm going to say a few things about um, angelology and the study of demons today and all of that. Uh, but we need to understand that they are not, they do not have the foreknowledge that God has. Okay, Satan cannot see the future. Now, Satan can discern things based upon the present and the past and scripture to put things together. Satan is not an idiot but he does not know the future. Now, before the Bible was completely collected and you have all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ, Satan and the angelic beings, they, like the Old Testament saints, were looking ahead at prophecy and not understanding what many of us understand now. They did not know the book of Revelation. <laughs> On the day, and I just, I'm in the book of John right now, just read uh, the crucifixion this morning. When Jesus Christ died, the devil, yes. But the devil knew the prophecy that he had raised from the dead. So Jesus rose from the dead. But the devil did not know the world-changing impact that that would have. The devil did not know about all of the millions and millions of people who had come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And the devil did not know, and the angelic beings did not know about the body of Christ in the New Testament. Now, don't miss it. This is super cool. All of these verses are simply saying this. The principalities and powers, the spiritual world, they look at the church and they learn 
about God. That's what that says. It says that the spiritual world watches the church and learns the manifold wisdom of God. And that this, this is so cool. We're having one of those like, you're not getting it moments. Uh, It's so cool because verse number 11, this is according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ah, Lord, help me. God, God has chosen to not only save people, but then bring them together for one purpose as one body, one nation, all that stuff we saw last week. And what takes place here is impacting what the spiritual world and the angelic world knows about God for all of eternity. Like you and I, believers gather, and this isn't new to Paul's writing. He wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter number um, 12. Yeah, I think chapter number 12 that Paul wrote, when you gather as a believer, when you're together, the angels watch and they learn. What do they learn? They learn how good God is. They learn about the wisdom of God. They learn about the grace of God. And what you and I do together as a church, what we do as believers together, Paul says, hey, this has an eternal impact because from the church, the angels learn the manifold wisdom of God. It's just incredible, that word manifold. It means many colored. The variety of God's wisdom. When the church gathers, the angels, they look part and they learn, man, isn't God awesome? You know, what, you know what's happening right now? This is so cool. You're teaching angels. That's what the Bible says. That's what you find all throughout scripture that the church, the believers, they teach angels. Angels don't experience grace. Angels don't experience salvation. Jesus didn't die for the angels. Angels don't experience the opportunity to be brought in as one group to worship a holy God by free will. Did you know that today? Angels, their free will was taken away. When the devil, when the devil opposed God and fell from heaven, God said, make your choice today. Everybody, all, all angelic beings, make your choice today. You know what those angels get to, you know what those angels do now when you and I gather together and we make a deliberate choice to worship God? They go, wow. Hey, hey, they're at it again. Hey, come here, come here. You see this? Look at it. And they're all singing. Hey, they're like you cherubims, man. They're just singing. That's, that's what the Bible's teaching. Like they, they go, man, God is amazing. They learn the manifold wisdom of God. I love how one man said it. As you and I take part in the work of God through the church, we are part of showcasing God's grace, not only to the culture around us, but we also get to showcase God's grace for the angelic beings. And this demonstration of grace is going to impact them and us for all eternity. What takes place when this church is gathered together is of eternal significance. Paul says, I want you to be amazed at the grace in the church, God's grace in the church, in my life, in eternity, but lastly, in the believer. 
Verse number 12, verse number 11 and 12. According to the eternal purpose which he had purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by him. In verse number 12, Paul says, now we. He brings you and I, the reader, into this. Hey, now now listen, you are a part of this. You now have boldness and you now have access with confidence by the faith of him. Hey, everything that I've been writing to you, God has brought you in. Gentile, God has brought you in. Jew, you're a part of this. You're fellow heirs. You have confidence and courage and access. What is he saying? Hey, don't be a spectator. Now you're a part of this. Be involved. You're a part of this. Now you can have boldness. Now you have access and you have confidence because of your faith in Jesus. Hey, you get to be a part of all of this. So use your life to showcase the grace of God. I personally believe that one of the themes of the entire book of Ephesians is, hey, know what you have in Christ and know how rich he is in grace and then allow your life to just be a picture of his grace to this world. Hey, don't be a spectator. Paul is using this time to encourage the reader to take up the cause. One man said this, the reason many churches are weak and ineffective is because they do not understand what they have in Christ and what Christ wants to do through them. Another man said it this way, to ignore his church is to sin against the God who planned it, the son whose death made it possible, and the spirit who today seeks to work in our lives to accomplish what God has planned. All of Ephesians chapter number three, uh, the first part of it, excuse me, the first 12 verses, all of that is about the church and Paul saying, hey, be amazed at God's grace. And when you gather together, gather together with purpose. And when you come together, know that this is something that God and his wisdom did and the angels learned from you. And I, by God's grace, get to be used to give this to you. Now be involved because if you're not, you're missing it. You're missing it. I say it often. I feel sorry for people who don't get involved in church. I feel sorry. Why? Because you miss it. You miss the fellowship. You miss the encouragement. You miss the help. You miss the opportunity. You miss the growth. In times in my life when I've neglected it, I've missed it. I believe Paul is saying this today. Don't miss it. Hey, be amazed at the grace of God in the church, in my life, in eternity. But be amazed at his life, at his grace in your life. Thank you for listening to this message. It's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.